Well, welcome everybody. Starting a bit earlier than, or on time, I guess, as opposed to my last outing where I pushed everybody late by going too long. Um, but it's a pleasure to be back and uh, talking about a topic that's um, frankly very interesting to me and uh, near to me. But uh, it's on the fatherhood of God. So what it, what it means that we have a heavenly father. Um, we all have a father, regardless of if he was present or absent or loving or distant from you or tough or easy. Um, probably more than we would want in some cases. We are irrevocably formed and shaped by our fathers. Um, and how we think and feel and behave and love, uh, for better or for worse, is altered by that relationship. Um, you may be like me. I had a wonderful father. I just didn't have him for very long. But that simple fact has changed me more than I could have imagined uh, at the uh, initial experience. But among the persons in the Trinity, uh, we may tend to focus on maybe the Son, or in uh, some cases the Spirit, uh, working out some of the distinctions between those two. Um, we definitely love Jesus as our Savior. But uh, though it's accepted and normal terminology for us to refer to God as Father, uh, we may have a few things that we assume about Him uh, in that role. And there may be some that we just haven't de uh, delved into much. And so we, I intend to look at a bit of that tonight. Um, uh, I will start by saying that before there were ever any fathers on earth, there was God the Father. Um, we know from Ephesians 3, he has existed from eternity past. And uh, if we have... Uh, if we have him through faith in his son, then uh, like the son, we do have indeed a good father. Um, even more than that, than just a good and loving father, we have an all-powerful, mighty ruler and authority um, who is increasingly generous, who gives us counsel, who extorts, uh, exhorts us with wisdom um, and guidance, and he hears our prayers um, He's made sacrifices for us um, with great cost to himself personally that were for our good. And so oftentimes when we describe God the Father, if we're not using it just as a distinction between him and the Son and the Spirit, we may view him more as being uh, the God and Lord of all things, as creator, um, and though we've accepted the terminology of Father, we may be tempted to relate to Him as a distant being uh, beyond our interaction ability. Um, uh, let's see what I want to add in there. Um, I know that my, in my personal experience, I tend to do that. I've, I view God... Uh, I, I tend to uh, err on the side of Jesus is the one I relate to most, having been a human. 
the Spirit is the one who comforts me in, in times of, of trial or uh, in exhortation. Um, and the Father is just actively working everything around, and this, he's almost like a distant being. Um, but I, uh, that is an improper view that I fall into uh, my, myself. And I would say it's, it would be a sub-Christian uh, category. I'm putting him in there. Um, uh, let's see. Um, in, in some cases, uh, I, I may tend to um, want to refer to God the Father mainly as Father. And then when I say Lord, I'll refer to Jesus uh, just to... Um, Cover, cover the terminology we see in some of the, the New Testament epistles where we have God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, but uh, what's interesting is in those two names of Father and Lord, uh, I'd like to start with that. Um, we have the two names of God really uh, in which uh, the glory of our salvation are hidden. So if we want to understand the Father, we need to go for his, to his first revelation of who he is. And I would say that that is his personal name, which is Yahweh. So at the burning bush encounter, we have Moses trembling before the feet, uh, bare feet on a holy ground. God speaks to him, you say this to your people, Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, has sent me to you. Um, and in our English translations, something that Jason's pointed out many times in some of our Old Testament uh, uh, passages, is that in our English translations, when the name Yahweh is used, you'll see the Lord, and it'll be in small capital letters, just to uh, differentiate that as being his personal covenant name over against another, uh, a more generic name like Elohim. Um, and this is telling to me about uh, the, the nature of the Father. So hidden in uh, the word Lord, we have uh, the personal name, and uh, we've heard that it's translated as I am. He's revealing that I am the God who is, like I am who I am. And this is the God of Israel. Um, he's the one who was always and forever was and whoever will be. Uh, he's the maker of all matter and sustainer of, uh, of every cell. Um, so the covenant God, Yahweh, is the creator. However, um, there are, there's another sense in which he is truly our father. It's not in sense uh, just in progeny in that he has created us because um, he has created all beings, but in that he has saved us. So when an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph, he told him the Messiah's name would be, uh, you shall call him Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins. Um, Jesus is built from the Hebrew name Joshua, which means Yahweh saves. So when the I am, Yahweh, became man, it was to save his people from their sins, and therefore, the angel said, call him Jesus, Yahweh saves. So um, our God is not only Yahweh, but Jesus, not only the God who is, but the God who saves. And so what is vital to um, the fatherhood of God is his intention in saving a people um, to be his children in 
his uh, only begotten son uh, in the person of Jesus Christ. So God cares so deeply about our rescue from sin um, that he wants uh, us to remember it so much. He wants to wrap our head around salvation um, in our Savior's name itself. That is how deep this goes. Um, very clear, Jesus came to save people to be God's children. Um, um, so our God is... Uh, that brings us to a working definition. So I, I've borrowed this um, from a gentleman. Uh, his name escapes me right now. Um, I think it's on your sheet. Um, but the definition I'll be operating from is that God is our Father, not only in that He is our Creator, but that he is also our redeemer. Uh, this is what distinguishes the Christian's relationship to God and what allows us to relate to him as father. So in those two senses, in one sense, in creation, he is the father of all things. But in regard to covenant relationship, he is not the father of all people. Um, so the... This will be kind of, it should be common to us who are familiar with the New Testament or have been around the church to refer to God as Father. But what about a, a pre-Christian understanding of this? What does the Old Testament actually say beyond just his personal name? Um, is there precedent for this? Uh, so the God of Israel um, had Israel as his son functionally and in the context of God forgiving and redeeming Israel. So while the Jews of Jesus' day uh, were hesitant to call God their father, and they were even angry at Jesus for doing so, nevertheless, he claimed God as his father, as his father and taught his followers to do the same. Um, so God is the father and is also the son whom the father sent to carry out his plan of redemption. Um, uh, I'll add briefly just that what distinguishes the son from the father is not his quality uh, of his being, um, which is just as divine, but I would say in this case, his function. Um, but we relate to God as father, therefore, through Jesus the son, sharing in his sonship through the adoption we receive through Christ's redeeming work for us. Um, so uh, hopefully we'll not take it for granted that God is our father. Um, but as we stop today and try to think about uh, what this means. Um, uh, this will bring us to uh, Jesus' teaching in regards to prayer. He tells us to pray our Father, and the Aramaic word that remains untranslated um, in most of our English Bibles is Abba, uh, the Aramaic word for Father. Um, so, because of this and the ubiquity of it, it shouldn't be super alien of a term, but nevertheless, we'll have a few key things I hope to emphasize uh, as we get there. But uh, let me pause there for a moment and see if we have any thoughts or questions before I go on and just briefly cover a few of the, the pre-Christian understandings of deity being father-like in some way. How are you distinguishing the difference between the Father and the Son? You uh, said it a couple times, but and, yeah, and, and. I there's the uh, same being. Um, I would say they're in different persons and functions. So, yeah. So by function, predominantly, is how you 
Yeah. Yeah, I know we've had a discussion about that before, but it's been a while. All right, so briefly, uh, why would the Jews react so harshly to this when Jesus brings it up? Um, uh, his assertion that God was his father, it first occurred in the debate about Sabbath rest. Uh, he claimed that it was proper for him to perform healings on the Sabbath because in his words, my father is working until now and I am working in John 5. Um, in other words, uh, although God rested on the seventh day from his work of creation, he's still actively engaged in his work of redemption. And that's the work that Jesus is describing here. He is uh, uh, coming to reveal the Father to a generation of the new covenant and continuing the Father's work in his life. But by him raising this, uh, the Jews were immediately antagonistic to this. And so as the, the gospel records in uh, John 5, 18, um, that's why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Um, but the question would remain, they reacted this way, but was it justified based on what we have, uh, what we know about God in the Old Testament? Um, I'll say there's a few things that we can turn to. Uh, so maybe if you want to turn to these, I might have uh, somebody read this. Isaiah 63, uh, verse 16 and 17. And then if somebody else could get Isaiah 64, 8 and 9. So if you want to read that, let me know. Throw your hand up and I'll point to you and then we'll have it read. So Isaiah 63, 16 and 17. See if I have it. 16 and 17. 16 and 17. Oh, 16 and 17. Yeah. All right, it says, uh, For you are uh, our father, though Abraham does not know us, and Israel does not acknowledge us. You, O Lord, are our father. Our redeemer from of old is your name. O Lord, why do you make us wander from your ways and harden our hearts? Okay, so you, can hold, you can hold there. Um, okay. Who has 64, 8 through 9? Rick. But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. Be not so terribly angry, O Lord, and remember not iniquity forever. Behold, please, look, we are all your people. All right. So at first glance, especially in the second passage, uh, you may think that he's referring to God as our Father in regard to their creation. He's like, we are the work of your hands. Um, we are pots of clay. But in both of these instances, they, have, uh, they are attributing to God from the perspective of Israel um, as their father in relationship to their redemption from sins or cleansing of sins. Um, so God was the creator of every human being. He is, uh, not just of Israel. But the difference in the context of these verses is that he has established a covenant relationship with them and not everyone. And so the context that we find, the reference to uh, God being a father of Israel in, in this sense is in the relationship of their redemption, covenant redemption. Um, so that is an, an acknowledgement of their particular relationship uh, with him. 
as their redeemer, not just as their creator. And so it is the covenant context of God's fatherhood um, that's also expressed in some other Old te- uh, Testament texts. Um, Deuteronomy four, 14 says, You are the sons of the Lord your God, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. And the Lord has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Um, as well as uh, in the Psalms, in Psalm 103, one of my favorites, um, we have an analogy here where as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. We have a direct connection here between um, the, the acts of God um, in redemption with his particular people uh, with the image of a father and a child. Um, as well as in uh, Jeremiah, we have God saying, uh, Is Ephraim my dear son? Is he my darling child? For as often as I speak against him, I do remember him still. Therefore, my heart yearns for him. I will surely have mercy on him, declares the Lord. Um, In each of these cases, uh, we have the underlying theme that God is the father of Israel. He has chosen the Israelites as his children. And because he has done so, he will redeem them in spite of their sinfulness. So his fatherhood is expressed in that covenant context and would make no sense apart from it. Um, Jesus brought this dimension out uh, when he challenged the Jewish assumption that they were the children of Abraham, just as he was. He acknowledged uh, their claim in a way. However, uh, he went on to say that, in fact, both he and they were doing the work of their spiritual fathers he of his father in heaven, and they of their father, the devil. Um, this angered them so much that uh, they admitted that in a sense they, uh, that God is their father um, in relationship. Just to, out of spite almost, they're like pushed to the brink of having to admit it um, begrudgingly is what I should say. Um, However, there is enough Old Testament uh, passages that bear enough witness to this. So although although this didn't come naturally to a a Jewish mind at the time, there's definitely a scriptural precedent, not just in the New Testament, to view God as Father, especially in the context of a redemptive uh, covenant relationship. Um. I'm going to skip a bit of this stuff because it's non-Jewish related just for time. Um, So we should examine a bit of Jesus and the Father. How does Jesus view God the Father as Father? Um, So we call him Father because Jesus taught us uh, to do so. Um, He did this uh, in order to emphasize that God was um, the disciples' creator as well as ours, um, but mainly that he was their redeemer. Um, Jesus had a unique relationship with God the Father, and he wanted to share that unique relationship uh, with his followers. So during his time on earth, he is uh, quite clear about this. Um, John 14, 9 says, He who has seen me 
has seen the Father. And uh, John 10, I and the Father are one. There are some in the early church, I will add, however, who interpreted these to mean that um, Jesus was himself the Father, merely appearing in the disguise of human flesh on the earth. However, uh, that is not tenable. Um, Jesus either spoke to his Father or referred to him in many ways um, that we can make it clear he is speaking to another person. Um, in particular, uh, his words on the cross, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. The quote from Psalms there. Um, there's no doubt he was not talking to himself uh, in these interactions. Um, however, at the same time, it's clear that the New Testament and Jesus had the authority of the Father to say and do things uh, recorded of him in the Gospels. Um, he did uh, the work of God in these instances. A, um, a good example of that uh, would be when Jesus demonstrated uh, to a skeptical audience. Um, he had the power to forgive sins. That was normally um, a work only attributed to, to God, uh, God alone. Uh, his critics would then say that uh, by calling himself the Son, he was making himself equal to God, as we mentioned before, because the Father and the Son share the same nature. So at minimum, they, they had an understanding that a Messiah would come, that he would be the Son of God, and be, um, but not necessarily equal with God. Jesus comes and says, no, I am the Messiah to come, and I am equal with God. Um, but this is part of the, the functioning relationship I, I mentioned a bit before, where they have uh, uh, same substance, essence, uh, different persons, and different functions in the world. Um, the Son had come to do the Father's will in the world. Um, I'll pause there for just a moment. I've been going pretty fast, throwing a lot out there. Are there any questions right now? Any thoughts? We experience the fatherhood of God because of the covenant context. Yeah, so as far as that goes, that's as far as we've gotten into that point. Um, we're going to jump into that a bit more here. But yes, the, the context, I would say the only intelligible context in the scriptures for us to call God Father is in a covenant context um, in the way that Jesus does. We can attribute to God the title Father in that we come from him, we gain life from him um, in that way. But the heavier emphasis of the scriptures of the fatherhood of God is in a covenant a relationship context, a redemption uh, from sins context. Yeah. Any more before I, we move on? All right, let's, let's jump back in real quick. Um, so... Jesus was the revelation of the Father. The, the Father decided to redeem the world. Um, but he did not decide to do this on his own. He decided to do this through his Son and to further reveal his Trinitarian nature. And in the New Testament, never quite explains why this is the case. Um, suffice it to say, I would say, God's wise enough to know how to glorify himself. Um, but... I suppose that's tangential for this particular conversation. I want to throw it out there. Um, 
What we do know is that the Father's plan to save His chosen people um, and that His plan would be that the Son would voluntarily agree to become a man in order to carry out the Father's intentions. So let me say that a bit clearly. Uh, We do know that it was the Father's plan to save His chosen people and that the Son uh, voluntarily agreed to become a man in order to carry out the Father's intentions, um, as seen in Philippians 2. Um, So the sins of human beings had to be paid for, not because the Father is vindictive in some way, but because his human children matter to him. Um, What we do is important, and if our acts are wrong, he cannot simply ignore them. Um, So the price of rebellion against God is death because God is the source of life, and so to be cut off from him is to be cut off from life itself. And uh, spiritually dead people have no power to pay the price for sins. Only a sinless person can do that. Um, going back through some of the particulars of the gospel, it makes it work. This is why the Son of God became a man, suffered, died, not just uh, for our sake, but also for the, the sake of the Father. Because the Father's justice was satisfied by his atoning death. The Father would further acknowledge this by raising him, the Son, from the dead and taking him back to heaven where he has placed him at the right hand um, as the ruler and judge of the world. Now, the stuff I want to get to the most um, uh, briefly before we jump into some of the the attributes here is um, the Father in us. So, um, the Father and Son remain distinct persons of the Godhead, but they work together for the salvation of those who've been chosen. The Father is revealed to us as the principle of the Godhead, the one who plans the work of salvation, and who sends the Son in order to carry it out. Um, the Son pleads for us in the presence of the Father. And the Father forgives us because of the Son's intercession on our behalf. We are encouraged to pray to the Father and enabled to do so because the Son has united us to Him. Um, in his death and resurrection, Galatians 2. Um, By this act, Jesus has associated us with himself as siblings. This is in regard to uh, the differences that he is the divine. This is the difference between us and and Christ, excuse me. The difference between he, the divine, um, and sinless son um, of the Father and us is that we are sinners who have been adopted by him. Uh, Jesus himself said as much uh, when he told Mary Magdalene after his resurrection to go to his disciples, whom he now called his brothers, and tell them what was about to happen. Um, John 20 says, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father to my God and your God. Having been born in sin, we, by nature, are not children of God in the covenant sense. As his creatures, we have nothing in common with his divine being. However, the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, through that, we have been integrated into the life of the Trinity. A few weeks ago, um, before we were jumping into uh, the Trinity study, I said one of the reasons I love Trinitarian theology and the study of it is that God truly is love 
in that he has existed in love and community from eternity past. And it is into that love that we are invited through the, the call of faith in the Son to be redeemed and put in right relationship again with this deity that has existed in perfect, harmonious love from eternity past. Um, a bit uh, back to our discussion uh, about special revelation in relationship to um, the Holy Spirit's work and necessity of His work and our understanding of it. So too, um, is His work and presence necessary for us to approach the Father and have relationship with Him. So as Paul wrote in Galatians that I read earlier, um, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So what does this mean in practical terms? That the relationship that the Son has given us with God the Father is analogous to His own. So if you're in the Son, if you're taking notes here, in the Son, we have been adopted into the family of God and become heirs of the Father's kingdom. And thus we are co-rulers with Him. This is a place we've been given that will judge the angels, that will have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. It's through this adoption. Um, we can't do this in our own strength, but only in and through the relationship that the Father has entered into with us through the Son and the Spirit. Um, so just as everything that the, the uh, Son and the Spirit do is in relationship to the Father, we, as adopted sons, uh, everything that we do, we're called to do, must be done in the context of obedience to His will. So it is to the Father that we pray. It is through the Son and in the Spirit. Because of this pattern of our relationship to God that He has revealed to us, we pray to the Father because our Creator is also our Redeemer. And it is in that redeeming love that we know Him. Um, I'll take a sip of water here. Any questions before I move on uh, to the six aspects I want to run through? I should just say something really wrong so you guys talk. Is the Father the same, the Redeemer, the same sense as the Son is the Redeemer? How are we understanding the differences in the Redeemer, I mean, they have different roles, but um, they're working harmoniously together to accomplish the redemption. So it's the Father who plans, um, uh, and it's the Son who executes. Yeah. And I'll add this, the Spirit that applies the work in faith. Any more thoughts? All right, 
these are not necessarily um, from me. I have changed some of the language that I think uh, fits a bit better uh, for my purposes. But uh, the six aspects of God's fatherhood I want to point us to tonight are firstly the affection of the Father. I talked about this, uh, not specifically, but the concept of positive confession multiple times over our worship Wednesdays. Uh, Pastor Jason has a, um, mentioned it a few times from the pulpit on Sundays as well. But whatever you may suspect about the heart of God, His feelings toward you, if you are in Christ, whether you've had bad experiences with your own father, whether you have um, lingering shame over your past sins or your failures as a father yourself, um, or even fears of the future. We know that the God of heaven is an affectionate father. Um, He's loving, he's happy. And um, we see this as soon as Jesus begins revealing who he is, uh, the father uh, shouts with joy from the clouds. He says in Matthew 3, This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Uh, He repeats that same refrain in Matthew 17. Um, It seems as if the father uh, has never grows weary of delighting in his son. Um, Jesus prays, Father, I desire, in John 17, that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Now, you may think, well, of course, God the Father will love the Son, because he's Jesus, and Jesus was perfect. Um, However, if you are in Christ, God sees you in Christ. So, while the, I like the picture of while the clouds above us may be silent, um, God, the cross shouts more loudly than the clouds. First um, John 4, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but the, that He has loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. If God has given you a love for His Son, Jesus Christ, He has set his love on you as a father. Um, Jesus says, John 16, uh, the father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. So understanding the fatherhood of God begins with learning to be truly, extravagantly, and tenaciously loved by God. Number two, Generosity of the Father. Now, we may have some concept of what a generous father is like. Um, uh, We may have faint categories of his love for us. Um, However, the the intensity and the extent of God's love um, is more than we could imagine. Um, I think of a few times, 
the oft-quoted, especially at funerals, uh, in John 14, uh, in my Father's house are many rooms, or more erroneously, many mansions. Um, uh, God is describing his, uh, how much he is, pre- he is preparing to give us to be uh, back in right relationship with him. Uh, our God loves to save, and he loves to bless, and he loves to give. And he will have a place for all of us in Christ. Um, Jesus, once again, reminds us of his generosity. Um, uh, in John 6, referring back to um, the wilderness, he says, Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And so the manna fell, Moses said to the people, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each of you, as much as he can eat. Not as much as you need, but as much as you can eat. In regard to um, our communion with God, the, his generosity towards us, he will not be cheap, he will not be stingy. Um, instead, uh, he will give us uh, good things. Our cup will overflow. Um, Jesus went on to say that the manna, he says, uh, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. Not just barely enough for the day, but as much as you can eat. Those who hunger for the bread of life, for more and more of the son of God, will not go hungry, and they shall be satisfied, Matthew 5. Because our God is generous, he is a providing father. Uh, if, I, if I could briefly sum up um, God's love toward us and his generosity toward us um, as adopted sons in one passage, I might choose Ephesians 1, um, 3 through 6. Um, Think about God's generosity, his spiritual generosity toward us uh, as I read these verses here. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Now, we don't only get plentiful and good gifts from our Father. We also get exhortation from the Father. Um, Proverbs 13, Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. No father can be truly good without direction and correction to his children and requiring obedience of them. Um, If the commandments of God make him seem less fatherly, it's because likely we have feeble models of fatherhood in our mind. Um, Good fathers persevere in teaching Uh, They teach their children to obey, and they firmly exhort them to godly behavior. 
Um, the Apostle Paul, in writing to the Thessalonians, used that analogy of himself. He said, you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Uh, like a good father with his children, Paul was exhorting the believers of uh, Thessalonica on to godliness and further obedience uh, to their heavenly father. And even Jesus, as the perfect son of God, um, is not above his father's commands and his time on earth. He says of the cross, for this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. This charge I receive from my father, John 10, 17, 18. Again, he says in uh, 5, John 5, the works that the father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I'm doing, bear witness about me that the father has sent me. And though the father never disciplined the son because of a, a disobedience in his life, he still gave him work to do and charged him to do it. And so even in the life of Jesus, we have the obedience to the father, despite the barrier of sinfulness that needed redemption. Uh, I need to pick up the pace a bit. Uh, moving to four, the attentiveness of the father. Um, the Father not only gives us direction, exhortation, um, He also lends His ear to us. Um, a song we often sing, um, All Praise to Him, just sang last week. The first verse talks about um, the same God who made the stars uh, and sovereign power formed the mountains, also with tender care, uh, Hears our prayers. Um, so, as much as we take uh, prayer for granted in our times, uh, uh, Jesus himself did not count an audience with God a thing to be neglected. And since we have the year of the Father, nor should we. Um, the Son made sure he spent time alone on his knees with the Father, uh, Mark 1, Mark 6. Um, and uh, as, he came, as Jesus came to the cross with all the tension, conflict, the agony of those hours, with everyone abandoning him, um, he knew that the Father would listen. Uh, in John 12, he says, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But th for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Uh, if we are children of God, our souls do not need to be troubled because um, we are not alone, uh, nor do we need to be silent because he hears our prayers. We have a father who's available for us. He's attentive to our needs and he's listening. He wants to hear your troubles. He wants you to cast your cares on him because he cares for you. Um, since Jesus knew the father would listen, um, he went with great eagerness and conviction to take his cares before the Father as an example to us and to accomplish his work. Um, and he is still doing that to this day. Jesus is still praying to the Father even while he sits at the right hand of the throne in heaven. 
He intercedes for us in Hebrews 7. Specifically for those who draw near to God through him. Um, For those who pray and trust their Father will listen. Jesus taught us, even us, to pray. Um, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Um, The fifth aspect would be the sovereignty of the Father. So the Father who listens to our every prayer has power and authority at his disposal. Um, Through his Son, he rules every inch of the universe, a cosmos built with his own words down to the very intimate inner workings of the human heart. Um, And as the Son was charged with work to do, announcing the kingdom and calling sheep home, um, he still took refuge in the sovereignty of God the Father. He says in John 6, Uh, While performing his work, seeking those who are lost, all that the Father gives me will come to me. Um, He says, no one can come to me unless the Father who has sent me draws him. No one can come to me unless it is granted him by my Father. My Father who has given my sheep to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. No one can resist the Father, nor overcome him or steal from him. And he, provide, he promises to provide for all our needs, carry our burdens, fight our battles. Um, but uh, we can say to anyone who thinks otherwise, uh, uh, the Father says, I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will comp- accomplish all my purposes. So we can rest in the control of our Father. Uh, sixthly a word? Um, The sacrificial father. So, there are indeed tragic instances of bad fathers who prey upon those who they're called to protect, to provide for, and love. Instead of overflowing into the lives of others, a terrible father will compromise his duty to serve himself at great expense to someone else, whether it be his wife, his children, his friends, his other family. However, if we are children of God, Our souls need not ever be troubled alone or in silence. We have a Father. Um, Our Father in heaven will not use us. He will not abuse us. He is not served by human hands as though he needed anything. This Father did not sacrifice, uh, the Father did not sacrifice us to serve himself. But he sacrificed his Son who laid down his life, in order to make us heirs of an infinite wealth um, and an incredible joy of life to the full, as we as adopted sons also become the heir of all things through our brother and Savior, Christ. So God sent the Son to the cross so we might have God. Uh, 1 Peter 3, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. 
um, good fathers like our Heavenly Father. Serve um, good fathers uh, in... Uh, I'm blanking. Uh, good fathers uh, on this earth who are modeling themselves after God the Father will serve, they'll bleed, they'll even die um, for those that they love because they've learned to lead um, at the foot of the cross. Um, they be- are good fathers because they have been fathered. Um, now, um, as I said before, I often struggle with some of these aspects in my own personal life. When I think about God's fatherliness to me, um, I view them. I view him in many ways like my own father, who was very good to me. We were very close, but since he has passed away, he is somewhere else. Uh, I know that he's benevolent towards me, that he had good intentions for me, um, that he loved me, but he doesn't always feel present to me in the same way, and. I run the risk of subtly missing or forgetting the fatherhood of God. Um, As we look into the inner workings of the Godhead, uh, I may tend to think upon distinctions of the Son a bit more. Um, More often than not, when the Holy Spirit comes around, it's uh, things I disagree with with other groups about the Holy Spirit. Um, but nevertheless, I kind of compress the fatherhood of God into that distant being that is ruling all things. Um, but if we want to avoid such error, uh, we need to recall the truth of the matter. And that's why I've included um, a quote here from Michael Reeves that I enjoyed, um, uh, that uh, God is the Father uh, all the way down, everything He does, He does as Father. And Michael Reeves writes, the insight, that insight, is like a stick of dynamite in all our thoughts about God. For if before all things God was eternally a Father, then this God is an inherently outgoing, life-giving God. Just as a fountain to be a fountain must pour forth water, so the Father to be Father must give out life. That is who He is. That is His most fundamental identity. Thus, love is not something the Father has, merely one of His many moods. Rather, He is love. He could not not love. If He did not love, he would not be father. So I would ask you, and I have to ask myself, are you allowing these aspects of God to inform the way you approach him? I've confessed tonight that I have allowed um, forgetfulness to creep in on some of these aspects, and I don't approach him as a son. I don't come boldly to the throne of God. 
often worry and don't trust him to provide for me the things that I need in life, not just physical things, but mainly spiritual sustenance. I am too prone to wander uh, towards uh, empty wells, breadcrumbs when there's a table of heavenly bread. Um, and um, I wanted to share um, just the text of a song that we've sung before. It's a hymn. It's one of my favorites. It's a, a metrical uh, poem based on Psalm 23. And I want us to consider some of the, the attributes uh, of God we've discussed here in relationship to the text of this poem. Look to see if you can see these things in this text. And then I want to move to some, some questions or other thoughts. My shepherd will supply my need. Jeho- Jehovah is his name. In pastures fresh, he makes me feed beside the living stream. He brings my wandering spirit back when I forsake his ways and leads me for his mercy's sake in paths of truth and grace. When I walk through the shades of death, thy presence is my stay. One word of thy supporting breath drives all my fears away. Thy hand in sight of all my foes doth still my table spread. My cup with blessings overflows, thine oil anoints my head. The sure provisions of my God attend me all my days. O may thy house be my abode, and all my work be praise. There would I find a settled rest, while others go and come. No more a stranger, nor a guest but like a child at home. Um, My prayer for myself and for you is that we would be cognizant of our child relationship, that we have a faithful, loving Father who will provide all of our needs, physical, spiritual. He will lead us for the praise of His glorious grace and for our good. And He will hear our prayers. Um, I want to open it up. Any thoughts? Uh, pretty dense tonight in comparison to other uh, discussions we had a few weeks ago with me. Um, but I do want to open the floor a bit in these final minutes that we have to any questions, thoughts, clarification have at it. Uh, Brian and I were talking this week and we were reading uh, Tozer's book in our discipleship. And one of the things we were talking about is, as you list all the aspects of God, 
is the affection that we feel as, as, as children, as Abba and Abba Father, but there's also this issue of the disciplinarian, and that he is in that regards, and, and it seems to me at times, and you mentioned that it seems like our society is trying to make God more out to be a pal and a buddy, and it's fallen away from some of the uh, position of God as a, a reverent fear of him because of who he is, and that he cannot um, stand to, to see us, uh, or see our sin and have it not forgiven. Uh, do you have any comment on, on that aspect? Um, yeah. So I think this goes a bit back to the devotional practice of not just confessing your sin, but also confessing what God has said about you if you're in Christ. So though we can approach God boldly, come to the throne of grace, um, as sinners who have been redeemed, that doesn't lessen the severity of where we were before our redemption or the righteous requirement that needed to be fulfilled for us to be in that position. And often in the discussions, we feel as if for God to be a loving, intimate Father with us, that uh, He'll be softer on us um, in His requirement. That is not the case. Um, it really speaks to the strength of the atonement, the worth of Christ, that He, on our behalf, has made up such an, a, a gap. He has bridged that great divide, and that divide isn't any lesser because now we have access to God as Father. And even so in the process of sanctification during our life, He will discipline us as children. Um, we may not know during those times whether it's uh, suffering for our own sake, uh, from our own mistakes, or if it's the discipline of God. But nevertheless, God does discipline His children. But in the, the cases of discipline, uh, those are a kindness, though they don't feel as such, that we might repent, that we might be made more like Christ uh, in those instances. So um, I think that covers it a bit, and then I'm bled over into, I want to discuss some of the, the that bit there. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's good. Uh, any other questions related to that or uh, something else? Um, cause I pushed this pretty long, but I'll go as long as we need. Anyone so. want to talk about uh, John 8.43? Four and forty-five. You are of your father, the devil. Sure. Um, and how God is both father and yeah. not father in that text. Yes. So in in that uh, there's a couple of complicating factors in that uh, interaction. One, to a certain extent, God the Father is the father of Israel, from which the Pharisees come. 
in that he has established Israel to be a covenant people for him. However, he also intended to, from Israel, bring forth uh, his son in the form of Jesus Christ as the Messiah to work the new covenant. And us being all dead in sin in our first father, Adam, um, do things consistent uh, with the father of rebellion. I'll call him father of rebellion. So they are actively opposing the revelation of God in the Messiah doing the work of the devil. God, uh, Jesus is doing the work of the Father explicitly, revealing more of His nature and coming to redeem. So, creationally, God's the Father of both in regards to the covenant that God has had with His people that He intends to save. They are of their father, the devil, because they are not of the covenant community by faith. Um, so, that's an interesting bit, but uh, yes, so, in regard to your work in the world and your relationship to the Father, um, He is only the spiritual Father um, insofar as you have been redeemed by His grace. Yeah. Further clarification, question? That's a weird one to, to deal with, but... I'm going to get one more question out of someone before we quit. I didn't start us late, so I'm going to end this late on purpose. I want one more question from someone. If you him as father first, doesn't that take away of him as God? That's a fair question. Um, I would say no. Um, this is partly from my theological perspective. But um, I believe that God in eternity past um, intended to glorify himself by saving a specific people. Um, so the plan for salvation occurred before he created anything because um, he intended to set things in, in motion and show uh, all of his nature through this work of Christ and redeeming people. So I view that uh, he's existed as Father eternally. And so from his love for himself between Father and Son and Spirit, he has created beings to love and to receive love back from them. And it's from that initial love he had this plan and created. So I would say that um, his fatherhood would not um, lessen our, should not lessen our thoughts about him as being God because he was father before he was God to us. If that makes sense. That sounds a strange way to phrase that. Um, but he was existing as Father prior to creating us in all things. And uh, he will be the Father of those um, who are in the Son uh, in eternity future. Um, so, yeah. 
Any more along those? God is eternally what, and then the Son is eternally. Help me out. What is the word I'm looking for? Okay. I don't remember. Uh, eternally unbegotten. Eternally yeah. begotten. Yeah. Okay. That wasn't it. But like, so in, in the work of salvation, right? Yeah. That. So, um, as we're in heaven, then what is God's role? Like once you know we're in a new heaven and a new earth, and all three of the. Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are united in heaven with us. Well, in in large part, it will, number one, we don't have any, we have yet to experience um, the full glory of God um, in the way it was close to possible before the fall. Um, but in terms of his, his work, like him still doing stuff, um, I don't see any reason to uh, suspect that he won't still be sustaining the earth, um, that he won't be, like that we won't have seasons or things like that uh, in the new earth. Um, when we discuss like heaven and stuff, I prefer to say, go ahead and let's get to the actual end point, which is new Jerusalem, new earth. So I'm not thinking of like some uh, incorporeal, you know, city on clouds or something. I'm thinking of a physical like city from heaven on a new earth. Um, and so he'll be maintaining um, a non-fallen earth in our existence. He will be relating to us. We'll be actually interacting with him um, to a greater degree, having been redeemed during that time. Um, but uh, mainly we'll be worshiping him because the the revelation um, that we get from Jesus Christ is that he is the exact imprint of the nature of God. Um, he is the, the logos, the, the word of God. Um, it's kind of hard to read, but I find it very interesting. Uh, Jonathan Edwards wrote a, an essay on the Trinity where he was describing um, how is it that the, 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 the logos, the word, the son, um, it came to be. Um, and uh, it was God the Father, when thinking on himself, knows himself so fully that his knowledge of himself is himself over again. <laughs> um, and uh, so as we see God revealed uh, in the work of Christ um, in uh, by the, the work on our behalf of the Spirit and the Son, we're getting to know the Father uh, more intimately. And so in the new earth, though I think he's going to be sustaining stuff, in large part we'll be uh, relating to him. We'll be able to um, uh, speak to the God, have communication with him, have interaction, um, have delight, like experience emotions and all kinds of stuff. Um, yeah, but that's a that's a good question. It's like, how would, what do we think, um, communication or relationship to the Father specifically will look like in the new earth? I'm not sure, uh, exactly. That's good. Any more toughies before?
I would love to talk about my thoughts about what the new earth will be like at some point. Um, spoiler alert, it'll be a lot like this one, but not bad. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. Well, if we don't have anything else, feel free to shoot us questions, ask for clarifications. Uh, be like, hey, man, what you said was very heretical. Don't do that again. Um, we can do that in person or over email. But I, I appreciate you guys um, sticking through this with me and throwing a few questions. Uh, I'll pray for us, and then we can, we can head out. Let's pray. Father, um, we thank you that we can address you as Father, that we come to you as adopted sons, that we can understand who you are, what you're like, through your word, through the work of your Son, and through the indwelling of your Spirit. Uh, continue to give us uh, wisdom and insight as we uh, seek to go deeper in our knowledge of you. And may it produce a greater love for you, love for one another, and spur us to good works, that we might proclaim the good news of your kingdom, both uh, to the neighborhoods here and the nations abroad. Uh, continue to be with us uh, during this week and bring us back together this week where we'll worship you together again. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.